We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome in to this Thursday edition, Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parm, Neil McCready, Clark Ford Studio this morning. Jeffrey Wright will join us here in a few minutes whenever he gets into the office and gets ready, as he does every single Thursday. We have a 2024 schedule for Ole Miss and the rest of the SEC, so we'll talk about that a good bit here today. As um, they, uh, they, they did several things that I found interesting with the schedule, so we'll go through uh, – what the 2024 slate will look like for the Rebels, the first year of the college football playoff, the first year without divisions in the SEC, and much more. So we'll get into that in a second. First, tell you about the uh, Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford Ribs. Let them take care of dinner tonight. It can be wet or dry. You can call ahead, wrap them up, have them ready to go there with the Oxford Exxon lunch specials. You know all about those, the No Nuts in Brookhaven and Clinton. And then speaking of Brookhaven, two more days for the grand opening special, the new Brookhaven Blue Sky location. Everything from a uh, dollar breakfast sandwiches, any size coffee, you can get uh, two 12 packs of Coke products for under 10 bucks, David's cookies for under a dollar, tons of different specials there. You can see the full list at uh, Oxford Exxon on Twitter, or just stop in and they'll help you out there if you're in the Brookhaven area. And again, come to you from the Clark Ford studio. We are Clark Ford is in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for our buddy, Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Right to the bottom line, there's no hassle, there's no haggle. Corey's just going to give you a quote, and you can chop it around if you'd like, or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's get into a Clark Ford. Today, you will love the product. You'll absolutely love the service. They go above and beyond what anyone else will do. Let's just take it. Take my word for it. Or you can make the call and start to find out for yourself. 662-257-1900. Jeffrey Wright join on the myperfectfranchise.net hotline. Are you a displaced corporate executive wanting to put your career in your own hands? Maybe you're an experienced entrepreneur looking to diversify. Either way, Andy Ludicky can help. He owns multiple franchises and businesses and uses his expertise to help others find their American dream through a very thorough and free consultation process. So call Andy, put your life and your career in your own hands. It's 100% free, nothing to lose. Find your perfect franchise at myperfectfranchise.net or contact Andy at Andy at myperfectfranchise.net or you can call his cell 404-973-9901. So get into it. Uh, just to uh, to start, I'm sure everybody knows by now that uh, Ole Miss's schedule for 2024 
teams play, not uh, the order of that. We do not have we do not have that yet. That is uh, home games against Georgia for the second straight season, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Oklahoma. Again, Georgia, Kentucky State, and Oklahoma at home. Road games for the Rebels in Fayetteville against Arkansas, Gainesville against Florida, Baton Rouge against LSU, and then South Carolina in Columbia. There, as you'll uh, as you'll notice, no Auburn, no Alabama, no Texas A and M. The obvious ones. As uh, they, they they switched it up, did in a couple different ways. I thought I read, I guess Pat Forty's column on it, and he I, I actually agreed with Pat. I thought that to whatever level they could, there was a good bit of balance in this. They did uh, they did follow what I sort of expected yesterday morning. It was not sourced; it was a guess, but that every team would play Texas or Oklahoma um, in this inaugural season. They've done that, obviously Ole Miss playing Oklahoma, um, but you get one or the other, and then. They did it sort of subtly, um, and this is one of those that's never perfect because Ole Miss has been to a Sugar Bowl in the last couple of years. Tennessee was in a Sugar was was in an Access Bowl last year. It's far from perfect, but they clearly separated the league into A's and B's um, when you look at the schedule, and you, you did a balance standpoint to the to the to the aspect of. They even made home and away, it seems, for every team into A's and B's. What they did was the A's on the schedule, Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, Texas, and Texas A&M. The B's, Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. It's pretty much split four and four for everybody, and it's even split two and two home and away for everybody when you run through the gamut. Now, again, does that – is that there's no way to completely balance this thing. I'm sure plenty of schools would bristle. I mean, frankly, Texas A&M has not continuously been an A program by any stretch of the imagination. Tennessee and Ole Miss have had a lot of recent success, but that appears to be how they are uh, doing it, and they did seem to go 4-4, 2-2 for the, uh, the, the most part in that. They preserved all A rivalry games, pretty much all secondary rivalry games, and then for the most part, even kind of the third games for a lot of teams as well as you kind of run through the schedules and see what's there. Um, Big winners, it appears, or at least the biggest winner because they don't play Alabama or Georgia is Arkansas. It looks like maybe their schedule um, is, is the quote, I'm using really big air quotes here, but easiest just because they avoid the Tide and the Bulldogs. There in 2024, um, Tennessee. On the other hand, I guess I guess Auburn. I did not look at theirs. Those two would get uh, both of those teams, so they would be on the other end of catching the tie and the uh, and and Georgia at the same time. So I don't know. That was just sort of the, my overall league thoughts were that you know considering what they were doing a one year one off, it gave them ultimate flexibility to put schedules together. I mean, look, every schedule is damn hard because the league is damn hard. But I thought they did a pretty good job. Did a better job than I would have done. Uh, they clearly put a lot of thought into it. They tried to make it as balanced as they could. I'm sure every fan base is going to go, oh, no, we were screwed. There's no way to have an easy schedule when there's this caliber of league, as you just said. I thought they did. I thought it was more than fair. I mean, it's going to be a hard schedule for everybody. I have laughed all day today, though, at, I know the day's just very started, but I woke up, got on social media a little bit, and all the trying to predict the 2024 season based on the schedules. I'm like, dude, you don't have any, we don't even, I don't even know how you can predict much of this season. Given all the portal stuff and, and the craziness, there's no way to even think about 
the 2024 season in terms of W's and L's and tosses and stuff. You, no way. Um, Texas A and M, the other school, by the way, that is does not play Alabama or Georgia. So that's Arkansas and A and M that that bypass the Tide and the Bulldogs for uh, 2024. Jeffrey, joining us now. Uh, how'd they do? How'd the league do last night? Uh, I'm glad that I'm not taking crazy pills because uh, Neil just had the same conversation that I had with my wife last night. Like, I felt like everyone was like going through the schedule. Like, this schedule's easy. Like, this schedule's hard. And it's like. How the hell do we know? You, you, like, exactly. I have no idea. <laughs> now, I will tip my cap to the SEC. Gentlemen, I think we've officially infringed upon the SEC as the NFL era. We just did a schedule lease for two years away. Uh, I believe Texas and Oklahoma have their 2024 schedules before they have their 2023 uh, Big 12 schedules. So great job. Great job to all involved. Want to really congratulate the SEC for essentially showing us a spreadsheet and having everybody go nuts about it. That's good. They stuff. won a news cycle on June 14th for 2024. Yeah, it was flag day. No, it wasn't. It was SEC 2024 uh, home away schedule release day. We don't have dates. Because next year we still get dates. Like we still get right. the show next year that goes, yeah, hey, but- here's when these games happen, guys. Set your yeah, weddings we and your whole deal. We basically gave you what we used to. Uh, back in the good old days, the SEC kids used to have this thing called a rotating schedule. Yeah. And you could set your clock to it. So essentially what they did was they gave us the rotating schedule. Uh, and then everybody acted like that it was news. So proud of everybody. Hey, if, if you're going to be the mini NFL, be the mini NFL. That's what they're doing. I, kudos to oh. them. Yeah, I'm I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, like this yeah. is how you 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 control the news cycle. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I saw some people, I can't believe they're turning this into a show. I'm like, why would they not turn it into a show? They have their own network. They need to, you have to have programming. This is, it's fresh programming. I think Feinbaum said it was the most anticipated thing and whatever, and people were kind of making fun of it. I'm like, he's telling the truth. It's, it's, it's well, we most- are. I said, so we start, we have two gimmicks once the finals end for the NBA. We have football take workshop in which you get to lay out a take that you've been workshopping in anticipation for the football season. It might, it might I, I know the name may not say it all, but that's, that's what we do. Um, and then we have a Grizzlies trade per day. But <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's really brilliant stuff. I, I know. There's a lot in, on the message board that don't understand how I am me, but you know it's it's ideas like that that propel me to the top. Um, hey, I've done dog days of radio in the summer. It, it's you 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 got to grind through uh, June and July. But there's no question, like once the finals ends, and really I noticed it because I was pretty confident after about like it was game after game three. I was like, all right, Denver's not losing this. So I just started watching like football on YouTube, like old football clips. And then I realized I was not alone. Like it is amazing. Like the moment, the moment that the moment that the NBA ends, it's like, I am just so ready for football, like bring it on. And does it help that my team in baseball is the worst team in the National League? Probably not. Um, But at the same time, like this is usually this is usually when I turn my attention to football. 
I, yeah, I did I appreciate Ole Miss last night on Twitter basically making fun of the fact that the Vanderbilt rivalry has died. Um, that was good to put out a spoof video. That was actually a quality uh, joke. Yeah, yeah thanking thanking the doors for for two decades of memories yeah. there as the as uh, the as the permanent opponent is is gone for the. Let's Vanderbilt go around the rim. Let's let's celebrate that rivalry. Favorite Vanderbilt game moment. Oh God. Ooh. My, was it, my, what was my personal it, what was favorite his, is 20, what was 2011. Greg Zolman? Who was the left-handed quarterback? Greg that, Zolman. Yeah, Greg Zolman. That yeah. that overtime loss was a special one. Um, I That's actually where my mind went was Greg Zolman tormenting Ole Miss for what felt like 18 seasons. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was there for 38 seasons. Also, might have shown where the talent pool was, the fact that Greg Zolman was, uh, was lighting him up. I, I think my favorite was the Ole Miss fans that used to complain about having to play Vanderbilt early in the schedule because they're healthy. Like, as if playing healthy Vanderbilt mattered. Like, are you kidding me? It's like, come on, if, listen, if you're not beating Vanderbilt, it's probably not going right, well. There are exceptions not, to that rule, but not many. I'm trying to think. Uh, one of those years, was it was it Houston's year, the, the, cotton, the first Cotton Bowl team that – I think the good team lost to Vanderbilt because I think Dexter fumbled like three times. Yeah, they lost. To yeah, Vanderbilt. I was actually just thinking of that game as you were talking because there are several where you flag them and go, oh, God, they lost to Vanderbilt in that season. Freeze had his troubles with Vanderbilt. Yeah, 23-17 in 2008. Um, it was the week before Ole Miss beat Florida in the Swamp in, in 2008. Because the last loss was Bama, right? That team... Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. South Carolina after Florida and then Alabama uh, 30 to 24 when Ole Miss had the ball late and Sneed missed the guy streaking down the field. Yeah, because I, uh, no big deal. I was just running around Europe that year because I remember Neil's column right after it's, I think Neil even wrote, he thought they turned a corner. Yeah, I walked off the field that day at Bright Denny and Chris Vaughn was an assistant right. in the Miss staff. And I said, you guys aren't losing again. And he looked at me because they were so freaked out about the trip to Arkansas the next week that that they were they, he couldn't even think that far. But I said, "Y'all aren't losing again," and they didn't. They were really good down the stretch. The two Vanderbilt games that I remember the most, though, I remember 2011. It was so bad, and we walk, I walked down, and yeah. I just walked up to Pete Boone, and I was like, "Any thoughts?" And he said, "How this much is, time you got?" <laughs> well, he goes, he goes, and he knew he was on the record. He goes, "This it's unacceptable." And I think I asked a follow up and got something. And I remember the whole post game going, "I know what I'm writing. I know what I'm writing. I know what I'm writing." And and what I remember about that post game was that was James Franklin Vanderbilt, and they were kind of just getting going, if I recall correctly. Yeah, and. Houston's doing his post game in that little cramped room under Vanderbilt's stadium. And at the time they had not yet built their new locker room facility. So their locker room is literally next door and they're just going nuts and they just pummeled Ole Miss and just the juxtaposition of the sounds. Cause Houston, that was the day that you realized this is over. There's a 0% chance that he gets through this season. No way. And so I remember that game, and then the one that I also remember that was a phenomenal football game, actually, was uh, the opener in 
2013. 2013. That's where my mind went to. The Jeff Scott game. That was actually – that was a great football game. Jordan Matthews for Vanderbilt that was just catching ball after ball. Yes. Yeah, he was awesome. He, they, both of those teams were pretty good football teams uh, in 2013. That was a really, that was a really good football game. Really hot. Yeah, I know, well, a, I know a dub, but it was a Thursday night game, if I recall correctly. I think it was the Thursday night of Labor Day weekend. I think and that's right. It was definitely the yeah. It was it was Labor Day weekend? I think it was Thursday. Um, but also that turf at that field, like grassy turf in general is just hotter because it's just plastic and rubber and just heat just, you know, it's, it's obviously not natural. So like heat just like sits there and like just beats you in the face. But I remember that night sweating through like three different shirts. I'm trying to remember though, didn't Ole Miss like Ole Miss built a lead and blew it. Right, isn't isn't that what happened? And then Scott had the big run. Yeah, to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking too. It felt comfortable for Ole Miss a good bit of that game, if my mind works. Ten years later. Yeah, because I was trying to recall. Like I, I felt like it was one of those weird games where Ole Miss won, and at the same time, it felt like they were better than Vanderbilt, and it felt like they'd escaped with a win. Like it was, it was a really weird like trying to process it after that game. But it was also week one, so who the hell knew? It was also the first game for Robert and Laramie and Tony and Laquan. So I kind of remember it for that too. Like Connor yeah, like, made a play on like the first series of the game, and you went, "Oh, that's an athleticism we like haven't that. seen." It was like, "Oh, okay, that's that's a little different." Um, and then the other one, and, and I, I guess I remember a lot of Ole Miss losses just because Ole Miss should beat Vanderbilt, and it sticks out when they did something, but. The AJ Brown catcher no catch in eighteen on a team that had they won the game, Matt's team would have gone six and six uh, and gotten to five hundred, and they end up losing in overtime, thirty six twenty nine to 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 Vanderbilt that year. For whatever reason, that one really sticks there at the end because it kind of it's hard for Ole Miss Vanderbilt to do this, but it sort of took over college football there for a minute on Twitter because it was AJ and it was the whole catch no catch rule, and we were in twenty eighteen that was really in vogue in the NFL and the NCAA. Well, and just like I feel like that was like the peak of uh, officials are cheating. Like you know, what I mean, like I, I I know that that's always hot in the streets, but like it really felt like it. Like 2018, we were at like the peak of, and because I remember people trying to spin zone, because the obvious follow up is if okay, let's play out your premise. Officials are the game is rigged. Explain to me why the game would be rigged for Vanderbilt. Like mm-hmm. yeah, th- that, that made no logical sense. I think that you can also make the argument. It was probably better that they lost anyway, right? Because that was, they would have been bowl eligible that year, right? They would have, yeah, six and six, yeah. And I think a bowl game would have would have empowered some of the Luke, uh, some of the Luke like legacy and and I think it would have empowered some of like the decision makers to give him an extra year. They weren't. And, they weren't. They weren't bowl banned in eighteen. So that's what I couldn't remember either. Yeah, actually, like, wasn't a two year ban, so would it have been seventeen, eighteen? I thought it was sixteen, seventeen. They self imposed. Was it two an additional? Because it was a. Remember, it was a. They they imposed a self imposed ban in sixteen. Remember that that's was right. the first video. And then I thought seventeen was the second year. 
I thought they okay. got an additional year, but but they, they went have- into sixteen. Not th- th- so that band had, and I know this is terrible, Pogs. I know fans are yelling at us right now. I remember this better than we do, but. Sixteen team though was bowl eligible going into the season because that was a lot of high hopes. I mean, that was the right. team that blew yes. the loss to Florida State and Alabama. I mean, that was that 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 went in with a lot of huge expectations. Okay, no, you're right. Seven, yeah, seven, so it had to be 17, 18. And also, I was in Memphis when the prison video was released, and I watched that several times immediately. That is one of uh, yeah, was- one of one of the all time like uh, this guy's dead, and I know it, and he knows it. Watching Hugh Freeze's face in that moment is one of the most satisfying feelings I think I've ever had as a human being. Uh, real quick, yeah, the NCAA infractions committee uh, vacated the Rebels' recruiting restrictions but upheld the 2018 postseason ban after reviewing the sanctions imposed on the program. So it was neither here nor there. Yeah, correct. They found out November 1 of 18 that they for sure would not go to a bowl that season. Because wasn't there also... No, okay. I know. I knew there was something. Didn't they almost wait until after they had lost seven games to rule in them seventeen? No, in in eighteen. I felt like that. I felt like the there was one weird year because they technically went. Didn't they go six and six and seventeen because they beat state? Yeah, I thought that was a self imposed year for sure, though. That definitely was self imposed. But I remember, didn't they like wait? I felt like they waited because they didn't want the egg. I remember this storyline, and maybe I'm I've like just completely lost my mind, which is entirely possible. But I remember there being this weird storyline. They didn't want the egg bowl to be for bowl eligibility and not knowing whether or not it was for bowl eligibility. I just don't remember. Is it a little weird that that dominated all three of our days every day for so many years with the sensitive blade stuff? When you go, hey, when did this happen? And where I, I, it's all running together. I have a very hard time sorting what year was what with this. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you're at your best, you can do great things, but sometimes life gets you bogged down. You may feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up the way you want to. So if you're working with a therapist, they can help you get closer to the best version of you. Because when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. I've used therapy in the past, and it's great to have a clean slate, somebody to talk to that's not friends or family. They can be helpful in their own ways, but with a therapist, you get somebody who's not emotionally involved, they don't have preconceived notions, and they can help you in so many different ways because they are just there for you. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp's a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. So just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com MPW today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash M-P-W. Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted better gut health, sustained energy, a little better immune support and some help with, uh, you know, vitamins, minerals. I don't eat enough fruits and vegetables every day. I'm working on it. I'm trying to get better. But AG1 is great for helping that out. So whether it's uh, when I break a fast a little later in the day or just after my morning coffee, depending on what I've got going on that day, I take EG1 and it helps me in a lot of different ways. It's a comprehensive health and these power of habit all in one. It's great for recovery. Again, love a lot. I'm taking mine after a workout. 
maybe you need a boost a little bit, it can do that for you. So AG1 is uh, fantastic for covering all nutritional bases for the day. It literally couldn't be easier, which is why I trust AG1. One small scoop of AG1 with water, drink it, done, and move on. I like that it costs less than $3 a day. It's pretty good if you ask me. Really effective daily habit with the highest quality source ingredients. It's a win-win. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs for your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com mpw. That's athleticgreens.com slash mpw. Podcast also brought to you by Prime Shrimp, primeshrimp.com. They have seven different flavors available for you, ready to uh, help you out there. Everything from the Orleans Stop Barbecue to the Signature. Let them take care of dinner tonight. You get full meals in a bag with their uh, garlic herb butter, their French Quarter Alfredo, tons of options with Prime Shrimp. And use code RG. You buy five pouches or more, code RG. And you get 25% off. So that's uh, code RG with PrimeShrimp.com. And then Springs in full swing. Summer's right around the corner. Heavenly Sunshine Property Services would like to take the opportunity to remind you about the importance of taking care of your outdoor living spaces. Regular maintenance is a key to preserving the beauty and integrity of your home or business. And one of the most effective ways to maintain your home through is through power washing. Some of the key benefits include increased curb appeal, damage prevention, creating a healthier environment, and also saves you time and money. Heavenly Sunshine's been serving the Mid-South and Oxford for four decades. Their full-service commercial and residential property maintenance includes power washing, soft wash roof application, facade cleaning, and window cleaning. So don't wait until it's too late. That's Heavenly Sunshine today. Enjoy a brighter, cleaner outdoor living space. HeavenlySunshine.com, 662-342-1203 to book your free estimate or use code MPW10 for a 10% discount. So the question I have, like philosophically, because I, I feel the same way you do. Is that is that pandemic related or is that age related? Because before the oh. pandemic, I was able to always like I, I could pinpoint this happened in that year. Like there was a line of demarcation. Like I, I was always very good at dates. But post pandemic, I have no idea if so, like. You could tell me something happened in 2016 or something happened in 2022. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. My my issue is during a certain time period. Like if you told me to run back through a bunch of stuff from 2000 to 2015, yeah, I pretty much got it. But I feel like after the pandemic, it clouded everything pandemic era. Yes. And then also like the four years before that, like cool. 17 to 21 feel weird to me. 100%. Like I, I even like, like I'll see like songs or like things that happened in 2015. I was like, shit, I thought that was like two years ago. Like, I, I think it even it almost goes like five years before. But like, I, so I keep wondering if that is pandemic related or if that is related to, you know, there was a lot of crazy shit that happened during that that period of when would you all say the chaos started? The Ole Miss chaos? Yeah. 2013. So basically, the year I started working for y'all. Signing day of 2013. I mean, it okay. went pretty much your entire tenure for the most part. I mean, it obviously ramped up, you know, early 2015 into just sheer chaos. But yeah. For me, the some chaos, levels. For me, the chaos started in 2011. That's when, for me, that was that was a chaotic fall. 
Because I, I, I think I wrote stuff. People are listening to this screaming at us right now, but I really don't know how to break down the schedule. I don't know how good anybody's going to be in 2024. Um, I wrote, I think I wrote stuff in 2011 that people were just not used to a quote fan site in quote writing and they lost their minds. Yeah. I think also though, fewer people lost their minds. I think you were exposed to it now. Like when we start to see all these studies coming out and it turns out like social media is not good for the youth. Like, well, we all can attest, like, listen, we were at the, the frontier of social media, internet message boards. And like, that was like the original, like social media and like what it would do to your psyche and what people would write and what people are like willing to say on there and realizing like how unhealthy that is. I still think that was probably important for you and your business because it laid the groundwork pretty early. Like, Oh, this guy's different. Like this guy, yeah. will, this guy will actually like, I, like, I remember before you got there wanting to cancel rivals, and when you got there, it's like, oh, no, this is my guy. Yeah, I mean, I think there was an 18-month period that definitely, I mean, Neil individually, site in general. I mean, yeah, because it was it was sort of the perfect storm. Yeah, maybe they're not used to seeing that stuff, but 11 going the way 11 went, well, I mean, you wanted truth. Everybody's pissed off. I mean, the Pete Boone stuff, the Pete Boone must go, the Houston resigning, all that stuff captivated the fan base in tons of ways where they they agreed very quickly with what Neil wrote and the site wrote and everything else. And then that immediately dovetails into Hugh getting hired, a complete 180 and change, because 2012 was just a normal, fun, rebuild football season. Like, it turned into just sort of, hey, they're on the come up. And then they get the recruiting class in early 13, and that's before the, you know, the NCAA stuff technically started in fall. There was, there was a really good 18-month there where you saw an arc. And you saw, hey, you're gaining a lot of trust and whatever by telling the truth. But then you get the other side of it, which is a ton of positives, which is everybody being happy and being locked in. I mean, that was that's also when the podcast boom happened. I mean, I think that 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 entire arc was necessary to kind of carry it where it went. I think I could make the argument. 2012 as a fan is like one of the most fun types of seasons you can have because you had so few expectations. You end up, you end up going, you know, finishing on a high. Like the team never really got embarrassed for not being really all that good, and you know, like, like it's. I always feel like it's kind of like with what we're covering right now with the Grizzlies. It's like, you know, the rise is a whole hell of a lot more fun than when you have like the expectations, and I feel like like that was like the peak year in terms of no expectations. Team, uh, you know, over delivered. You had the fun night where you, you beat Mississippi State with, you know, Moncrief going nuts. Like, I feel like that was a pretty fun year. Like, that's in terms of like being a fan, like, that's a fun type of year. Well, I mean, the big home blowout was Texas, and people still said, hey, that was fun. And we scored a lot of points. And okay, cool, sweet. Moving Atmosphere. On. Remember, it was electric. Like, everyone's like, yeah. oh, man, like, that's like, that's how it should be. Like, yeah, no. And they got, yeah, what Texas put like 66 on them. Yeah, it was like 66-35 or something. But they scored enough to kind of make it, eh, you know, fun, if nothing else. 100 points is fun. They had nothing to lose, and they played hard. Yeah. They played They played to the end. You know, I mean, that, the people in that at that time, you had to remember how bad 11 was and really how bad 10 was. So it was it felt fresh. I mean, 2011, I mean, 
and I don't blame them, but they quit. And you guys know oh. I don't use you guys know I don't use that word. I hate that word. I hate that word. Despise it with a passion. I don't like writing it. I don't like saying it. I don't like even implying it as it pertains to sports because I'm not out on the field and I don't know your level of effort. But in 2011, I feel quite com- comfortable and confident saying they quit. Well, when your team captain went fishing during the practice week, uh, a team captain who ended up having like a 15 year NFL career. Yes. And I mean, is, and by the way, is like not a, not a me first guy, like team guy. Like when he quits, basically, essentially, like he basically said, like, I'm just going to go fishing. Like that tells you that a team had quit. Yeah. Agreed. Really, though, the whole the Houston's whole era ends, though. Jacksonville State. It, it, no question about it. They gave the extra year to, you know, to. Because I remember the, I remember thinking, I told, uh, what was, uh, was it, uh, what Stroud did we have? Zach. Uh, Zach. Zach. Zach was working at uh, Lenora's one night, and that was uh, one of my watering holes. And uh, I, I'm drunkenly one night hanging out because I had friends that worked there. And I'm hanging out with them like after hours. And it's like, Zach, I got to know this one question. What's it like to have the best pass you've ever thrown dropped? Because remember, Brazel dropped that that walk in BYU. BYU, and he was like, he was like, I got to tell you, man, um, it sucked. And that that was like, and he wasn't even like mad about. Like he was like, yeah, that's probably a decent way to put it. Because that was a gorgeous throw. I mean, it was right up the sideline hit him in stride. Like that's the type of like highlight play that you put, like you would be showing people that throw for 35 years or more, or at least I would be. And like that just kind of, I feel like that kind of defined like that whole, that two, that two seasons. And like, that's the other thing. It's like, do they maybe move on from Houston the year before if Masoli doesn't come? Because I feel like Masoli took a, two and 10 team and willed them to like whatever four and eight, five whatever and they were. Yeah. Four and eight or five and seven, whatever it was. They, he they did, were competitive. I, I think they still give him the one more year. Because yeah. He, I think it's impossible to, for him to lose that the amount of capital in one season to get fired. Hotter seat, but still, still employed in 2011. The firing just probably happens previously before Kentucky or whatever it was when it finally went down. They probably fire him after the Vanderbilt game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's 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 possible. I will See, give you one. We, we bookended it. We bookended okay, it. What's you your go. favorite favorite Vanderbilt memories? I, not a conspiracy, but at all because I don't. I, I hate that word when they followed the thing. I do wonder a little bit if all the hell they raised and being mad about Texas, if they gave A and M a softer schedule for twenty four. They let them host Texas. Make sure that first game's in College Station, and then they avoid. Basically, I mean, their home schedule and away schedule sort of get softer teams inside the A tier and the B tier. The Aggies, other than maybe the Razorbacks, by far the on paper relative to June of 2023, softest schedule. I do wonder a little bit if that was simply throwing a Ross, Ross a bone for only sort of bitching instead of majorly bitching about Texas last year. I don't know about Ross, but I think it was the league acknowledging that 10 plus years ago, it was Texas A&M that said, yeah, we'll join the SEC. And it was Texas that was like, no, 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 we're too good for that. Mm-hmm. You know, the first game should be in College Station. Hell, the first three or four should be in College Station. It won't be that, <laughs> maybe, but, you know, come on. I mean, Texas, 
Texas said we we're too good for you guys. And then, you know, years later, they're like, ah, we screwed up. Because Oklahoma, yeah. Oklahoma wanted to join years ago. And when Texas was like, no, we're not going to do it. Oklahoma was like, okay, well, then we won't either. But Oklahoma wanted to. All right, yeah. I'm looking. So they get Arkansas, LSU, Missouri, Texas all at home. Auburn, Florida, Mississippi State, South Carolina. I don't know. I mean, I think the other problem is you're doing the eight game schedule for this season. Although, Neil, do you is there any chance you think like this was what I was also thinking about last night when everyone was was breaking down schedules? Isn't it entirely possible they make a proclamation like they cut a deal with ESPN, they get uh, more money for the extra game and they go to a nine game schedule? Oh, I think it's likely. I think it's likely. I think this is. You're you're talking about for 24, though, Jeff. Correct. Oh, you think? Oh, no. I I think. I think. I think the earliest it could happen now is 25, but I do think it'll happen in 25. I I do. So what if? What if the Pac-12 can't come to a deal with anyone, and ESPN's like, well, we didn't really want to fork over, you know, we didn't want to fork over 200 million, but we'll kick in, you know, an extra like, you know. Uh, I don't know, 16 teams. What do you need? Probably how many, what, 5 million per game? What, what do you think? What do you think the SEC would take? I, I just don't know. They, 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 I do think you're on to something. I think the reason that the, this is an eight-game schedule is more hardball with the ESPN than it is the whole playoff thing. Yeah, I just, I, I mean, I still think like, I think it's like twofold. Like, I think it was the the schools couldn't agree to do it themselves. And so it's like, it's a compromise. And it also works as a slight leverage piece, but with it being an eight game schedule and 16 teams, like someone's going to get a good break. Like, you know what I mean? Like the, the math oh, yeah, doesn't sure. add up. The math doesn't add up. Like, do I, do I think, I think A&M probably is in a good spot because not only for all the reasons that you just mentioned, Neil, but also, like it did, it did break the gentleman's agreement that the SEC wouldn't take a school if if other schools were like you know the SEC the handshake agreement was like the SEC wouldn't take Clemson because South Carolina said no or Florida right. you know they wouldn't take Florida State right. because Florida would say no like this did break that unspoken gentleman's agreement and so you kind of throw them a bone but I mean the biggest problem that I see is like. Who the hell knows who's going to be good in two years? Well, you don't. I mean, you're basing off just what you have. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I just found it interesting. They host Texas, and they miss at least relative to the last couple of years as far as bowl games and ceilings, the two best A's and, in theory, the two best B's or at least the two best B's who can pop up, which are Tennessee and Ole Miss because they've been in access bowls. Yeah, but I mean – So, in both sides, you miss whatever. I mean, yeah, you got to play somebody, hell. But, I mean, you could also make the argument – they're playing three of the teams that have the most NIL money. I mean, Texas clearly is in a different stratosphere in terms of NIL money. LSU seems to have figured the system out. And, you know, people believe that Arkansas is sitting on a pretty good war chest. Like, I just, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't know how you determine whether or not, like, that's the case. And, and, no and only three of the only three of those games are in College Station because the Arkansas game is going to be at, at Jerry World. So they get LSU, Missouri, and Texas at home. They got to go to Auburn. 
I mean, I, again, I have no idea what Auburn's going to look like this season. So forget next season. But Jordan Hare can be a tough place to play. They have to go to the swamp. Again, no clue. They got to go to Mississippi State, where they have struggled historically there. And they have to go to South Carolina, which a lot of people, I think self-included, think that's a program that's on the rise. Yeah, I mean, you can make the argument that they've got the NIL stuff figured out. Tons of it. Yeah. But again, you got to play somebody. I mean, there's no way yeah. to give them eight easy games. I mean, hell, shit. I mean, but I don't know. I mean, I just I heard, I mean, I heard people. I heard people say that they thought Oklahoma got screwed. So I'm looking at Oklahoma's schedule. They they get Oklahoma's mad because they only get three home games, but it's the same thing you just said. They get a neutral site game. So what do you want people to do about it? Yeah. I mean, Texas AM only gets three home games. Yeah. Yeah. Well, y'all should have voted to have a nine game conference schedule. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I I'm I'm finding it difficult to have sympathy for anyone. I don't it's it, it's a hard league. There's there's good programs. There aren't. I mean, there's only one program that we consistently go there shitty. That's it. Everybody else, you can make cases for how they could be good. Literally everyone else. And then you know you got Auburn and Georgia who play, or sorry, Auburn and Tennessee who both play both Alabama and Georgia, but they made sure they game on Vanderbilt too, which I get. Good with that. Sweet. Yeah. I mean. Alabama schedule, they, they get Auburn at home, Georgia at home, Missouri and South Carolina at home. Not easy. They got to go to LSU. They got to go to Norman. Got to go to Knoxville. Three hard games. They got to go to Vanderbilt. That's actually a really hard game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's Alabama didn't get any favors done. Well, that's and Georgia and Alabama both got sent to the new kids to give them a home game against the big boys. Georgia goes also- to one and Alabama goes to the other one. A question that I have moving forward is, what is Auburn moving forward? I don't know what Auburn is in September. I, I, I just that's what I'm I, saying. Like I, yeah. I meant, like like that's like you know, basically, you know, I, I, Auburn is still clearly not a bad job, but like, I don't know. Like in ten years, is the Auburn job that much better than the Ole Miss job? I've got huge, huge asterisks next to Auburn and Florida as just programs having no idea right now. No clue. At least, at least with Florida, you can make the argument that there's like the problem that Auburn faces right now is the the two like your two recruiting bases are now machines for your biggest rivals, like. Alabama is Alabama right now, and Georgia is at a peak high. And so those have been like your two, you know, in-state and then the state of Georgia have been like the two biggest recruiting bases. And now you just like, you're, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, you know, you're just getting leftovers. And they clearly, you know what I mean? Like they, they were so, they were so good at playing the game in the under the table era, but now that it's become like a market value era, like I, I don't know, can they compete with that? My suspicion is probably not. I'm not going to make fun of our own. So it's, it's two things. Who do you believe in more Billy Napier or, or Hugh freeze? And then it's recruiting bases, as you mentioned. So I'm, I pulled up the rivals rankings and it's, 
June the 15th. They're okay. almost meaningless. Granted. Florida's 13th. They've got a five-star, uh, five four-stars, four three-stars. And so, I think it, in that bout what they finished last year, weren't they like somewhere between like 10 and 15? Yeah, so I mean, I'm looking at the league. I'm just looking at league teams. Georgia's first. LSU's fifth. Um, Florida's 13th. Arkansas's 17th. Tennessee's 18th. Alabama's 19th. South Carolina's 21st. Ole Miss is 27th. Mississippi State's 28th. Texas A&M's 32nd. Oklahoma's 34th. Auburn's 37th. He's got seven commitments, five four-stars, and two three-stars. I I just and they didn't particularly finish strong last year either, correct? Yeah, I I I don't I wonder if today's kid is a little less We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With NIL, pay-for-play, whatever you want to call it, with kids just being a little different now, I wonder if some of Hugh's stuff that worked in 2012 and it worked in 2012. He did a magical job that year. And in recruiting, I just wonder if that stuff works a decade later. Well, I mean, I think in fairness, I think he's wondering the same thing. Like I go back to that story that, that Dellinger wrote. Like I give, I give Dellinger credit for a lot of people took that Hugh interview and were, you know, essentially like writing the fluff piece. Like I thought Dellinger asked some really good questions and, you know, Hugh even like said something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing. I just didn't realize like the first question that people are asking now is like, what's the NIL package? Y'all want to hear something crazy? Help me, help me understand. I'm suddenly putting an asterisk by a new program. All right. Texas. They have three commitments for 2024. According to rivals, I'm not saying that maybe they're wrong, but pretty good. Pretty good Texas site covering rivals and orange bloods. One's a kicker. I'm sure he's a good kicker, but he's a kicker. Uh, a four-star quarterback out of out of Texas and a uh, four-star wide receiver out of Houston, Texas. That's that's all they have committed. 
isn't this though a little like I'm, I'm with you here and i guess if we want to like flag it and something to monitor yeah but isn't this also kind of like peak saban era where you know early the classes would be pretty small because they're more selective right now and oh yeah could be could be yeah i'm just putting just kind of a mark by it not i'm not making a I'm not making a hot. This is not a hot take. In fact, I mean, you don't you don't even need to even think about oven mitts right now. You're good. You're you're you can reach right in and grab it. There's nothing. It's not even warm. It's just I'm putting a mark by it. Going, huh? So well, keep an eye on. I mean, I think there is like a legitimate question. You know, is Sarkeesian the guy that's going to be coaching game one in the SEC? Because like people oh, yeah. were. We're starting to feel better, but if you looked at their win total this year, basically Vegas is saying they're a 10 win team. I mean, that's a place where you, when expectations start rising and if you don't meet them, I mean, I think the one thing he probably has working for him is he has a Manning on his sidelines. I mean, like, I'm looking at Texas's 2024 SEC schedule. And again, all the caveats, you don't know what anybody's going to look like, right? Granted. They, they get Florida at home. I don't think that's a gimme. They get Georgia at home. I think that's probably a loss. They get Kentucky at home. Again, not a gimme. And they get Mississippi State at home. So a likely win, but look, I'm not counting Mississippi State out. They, they'll get jacked for that game. Then they got to go to Fayetteville. The last time they went to Fayetteville, they got romped. They got to play Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. They got to go to A&M. Whoever is the coach at A&M will have his team ready that day. And they got to go to Vanderbilt, and that's going to be a game that they're going to overlook. No, I mean, I, I don't like, listen, Texas has not exactly been the the program of stability here the last, I don't know, when, when did Mac leave? 15 years, maybe? I mean, it's been a minute. I mean, the last time they were really competitive was against Alabama in the national title game when the quarterback got hurt. Colt McCoy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, well, post, and, and you make a good point. McCoy, what, what's, what's, what's Texas done post Colt McCoy? Yeah, not much. I mean, they've been very. They had like one year with Herman where they beat Georgia in a Sugar Bowl that Georgia didn't care about. Oh, yeah. And they, and, and they like, we're back. We're back. That's when Bebo and Bully got into it. Or not Bully. Yeah. I'll go. Yeah. Um, okay. That's right. That was that. Yeah. I mean, look, and, and maybe not. Maybe this is one of these dumb things that we say that aren't true, but. I do think that, as we've talked about, Texas coming into the league, the week after week after week of it does build up on you because you know what the, you know as well as I do, they're going to overlook a game like State right there. Oh, it's just Mississippi State coming in. Okay, you look up and you're down 17-3 in the second and you go, oh, hell, that's not good. Well, I mean, that is kind of the, like, for all the, for the people that I think probably rightfully so get a little annoyed that, you know, the bottom of the SEC takes credit for the top of the SEC. Sure. Like what makes the league different is, you know, with the exception of one team, as Neil said, just about it, it, on any given Saturday, you can go and if you're not ready to play and you play terribly, like you can get pop. Absolutely. Happens all the time. Texas A&M will tell you that. That was the biggest adjustment to the SEC was, damn, there's just not many days off. Mm -hmm. There's not many days off, and you go to a lot of places that are tough to play. 
Yeah, the crowds, the yeah, it's true. I mean, everybody likes to pick on Drinkwitz, and I get it, but look how close they were a year ago to going nine and three. Look how close they were a year ago to beating Georgia. Georgia walked in there and said, This is going to be a breeze. And by the time they realized it wasn't going to be a breeze, it was damn near too late. That happens all the time. That Kirby's a pretty good coach. I mean, he hadn't lost much. They got a pretty good team. Like their whole team goes to the NFL. And they 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 almost lost that day. Um no. I mean, didn't they have a kick to send it to overtime? I don't remember I, the end of the I game. I can't remember. I just remember I remember Georgia got the ball late in the fourth quarter and it was score or else. Yeah. A couple things, Jeffrey. I know we got about 10 minutes. Uh, I want to hit on. Uh, what's your guess? What's Jaws suspension? I've gone back and forth. Um, weirdly, so I'm of the opinion that the fact that like silver keeps dragging this out and then saying he's not going to talk about it and then like giving five interviews in which he does talk about it. I'm of the opinion that's part of the punishment. It's like, Hey buddy, you embarrassed me. You love when people talk about you. See how you see how you like it now. And that weirdly has made me think that if that is part of the punishment, Maybe this idea that it's going to be like half a season is probably absurd because the thing I keep coming back to is can you really suspend John ja Morant for something that was remarkably stupid that nobody's defending, but it was remarkably stupid, yet he did nothing illegal. And on paper, you suspended Miles Bridges 30 games for beating the absolute shit out of his wife. Like, I, I just don't know how you can you can really do that. There's the argument that, you know, Jaws the first, Jaw will be the first case study of, uh, of players from this generation that have grown up on social media. So you've got to, like, set the standard. I mean, like, I don't dismiss that, but it just seems to me I just don't understand if he gets suspended 20 games, this, this concept that 20 games is not a significant suspension. It's a little mind blowing to me. Like, absolutely. Because like, if you look at how crowded the West was at the end of the season, the difference between like the nine and the six was three games. Well, and then on top of that, a 20 game suspension means he's ineligible for all postseason awards. Cause he won't have played 65 games. Like, it's a quarter of the season. Yeah, and people don't understand that his contract is your contract changes if you're all NBA. Yeah, and, and so, so he's, he he would be ineligible for all all NBA yes. stuff. Basically, making it where he went two years in the prime of his career without getting all NBA stuff, and the way that works is once you know, like he kind of lost his spot to Shea Gildas Alexander. And so if Shea continues to play well, he's going to have a hard time getting it back. Yeah. And so, so if I set the over under on 19 and a half. Over. I'd probably say over, but 15 to 17. would. Not I mean, I also, I can't ignore the fact that everyone's like been, everyone's been throwing out like, a lot of like indefinites. Woj did say like two weeks ago, keep an eye on the number 17. Oh, yeah. 
And yeah, Woj yeah. is the one person that, all right, I, I don't think he just got that number out of thin air. Because it's not even a round number to anything. It's not like, Correct. oh, that's a quarter of the season. I mean, it's not. It's not anything. 17 is the number where you lose the All-NBA. Like, you lose the postseason award eligibility. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you're obviously not playing every other game. Told me it was 25. I buy it. He told me it was 20. I buy it. If he told me it was 17, I buy it. I I don't. I will say this. I will be surprised if it's anything less than 16. But I just. You're going to get into a really tough zone where if you suspend him, if you're going to suspend him for more than 30 games, you're basically, in my opinion, going to have to go back and say, we proved that the gun that he had in, it's almost like a lifetime achievement suspension. Like, well, we opened up the investigation again and we proved that the gun, the gun that he had in Denver was his gun. Uh, and also, uh, we proved that there were guns in the incident against Indiana in the basement of the forum. But then that opens like the questions like, well, why couldn't you figure that out in the first investigation? Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, like. I think like I, I think that it's kind of. I think the suspension so far, like I think Silver's tried to. Like, I think this is like an NCA thing where. Part of the punishment is the clouds hanging over you. Yeah. And and I think that's been fairly effective. A um, couple minutes, not much else going on other than baseball and this, the uh, U.S. Open kicking off today. Tell me uh, about LACC. What are, they, what are they getting into this week? You know, Chase, I don't know if I've told you, but I've played it before. I was aware. That's why I asked mm-hmm. the question. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't have the video on today, but I am sporting my <laughs> LACC uh, shirt today. No big there deal. Um. I think it's going to be fun. I am a little concerned. Um, I'm the one person of. I am a golf nut and I'm not. I feel like there's like this group of like true golf nuts that hate like protecting par and like they don't want to see the U.S. Open at even par because they think it's too manipulated. I understand the argument. I've just always believed because I played other sports other than golf, like the mental aspect was part of the test. And I liked watching these guys crumble. And Mm -hmm. you could tell like in the end, like before they changed, you know, before they kind of softened their stance on setup, like look at the guys that won multiple U.S. Opens. Like it is kind of the who's who of golf. So it wasn't like to me, like they were coming up with gimmick tests. Like, so I'm a little concerned that this thing could get to double digits pretty easily under par. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, it's a course where there's not really like a lot of this is a par four. Like it's like almost every hole is like a half par, like in sometimes in your favor and sometimes working against you. And so there's a lot of birdie chances out there. And these guys are good enough that, like, you start getting some, making some birdies and you start playing well, like, you can go pretty low. But it is also a course where if you, if you don't hit the green, you're dead. Like, and they give you a lot of room off the tee with the fairways. So, like, you're going to have a chance to hit greens. But if you don't hit greens, like, you can make double easily. 
I'm I'm already getting and, and I'm being golf curmudgeon. I'm already getting tired of the uh, social media hits about this number eleven that's like playing two ninety because it's like a two thirty five carry. It's like they're gonna hit iron into this. Shut up. I will say this though, if they get some wind from the from that direction, uh, you can see guys like there could be some guys hitting driver into a par three. Yeah, which would be fun. Let's do it. Oh, uh, that's I'm, I'm all hey, about. let's go. Like that's the perfect example. Like that hole's really like a par three and a half. Like if you make yeah. three, I guarantee you you're picking up a shot on the field. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of those type holes. And then you know, can you miss short? Know. Is there room short, or is that water? Yeah, feature you can. Or something there's there? no, there's no water. Like there's there is like a layup spot. Like you can miss okay. short and right. Like, but like that's kind of what this course is going to be. It's like a lot of. There's really hard holes, and then there's like really scorable holes. Like I don't see anyone complaining about the fact that one of the par threes could play 75 yards, and is a weird hole because they put the pin on certain spots, and it's hard to stick it there. Correct, because they'll put it like on the front edge in the front of the tee box, and basically they're gonna be like, "Hey, uh, y'all, tell me there's nothing wrong with the golf ball. We know it doesn't spin. Spin this bad boy back." Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I'm fired up. Like it's gonna have cool views. Like you'll get to see like Century City in the background, like the high rises. Um, the the word on the street though is uh, I'm not sure it's gonna have a national championship uh, vibe. Not not so much the uh, vibe of the everyman out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're calling this a very corporate U.S. Open. So I don't know like what atmosphere on the grounds will be, but I think it's gonna look awesome on TV. Uh, did Jay Monahan actually have a sickness? Uh, did Urban Meyer have a heart attack? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my first reaction was, "Wow, the Saudis work fast," and then I was like, mm, "Maybe it's not the Saudis. I, that's probably too soon to just go ahead and rub him out." Um, yeah, it feels like he got an Urban Meyer. So you don't think he's going to be in charge another day during his tenure? Probably not. And honestly, like I don't know. Like, didn't this always feel like the inevitable result? Yeah, probably. Like he was as it's going on. I still think you made the right decision, but that doesn't mean you keep your gig. I agree. The problem is you can't sit there and trot out the nine eleven family. Oh uh, well, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He lost. He, he, he the, the the end result of this was signed a year ago. Well, and also, why why couldn't he have like this deal was offered to him four years ago? Mm-hmm. Well, why couldn't he have done it then? Well, he made the huge corporate mistake of thinking the Saudis were going to quit. Or at some point, they would think it wasn't worth it. Checkbook stays open, boys. And I guess the hard, like the hardest thing to me to determine is how much was he like really making decisions versus the figurehead? Because right. when you read the New York Times or maybe it was the Wall Street Journal, like when he's not even involved in the first meeting, it makes you wonder, like, all right, how much was this guy actually involved? However. I see no reason why he should keep his job. His extremely well-paid job. That's fair. That's what the money's for. Yeah, I'll I'll buy that. Uh, what but, are you doing? Uh, yeah, um, until Brooks, until until I think Brooks is back. So until Brooks, until Brooks shows me that he's not back, he's my pick always. Oh, you're gonna, you're picking him over Scheffler this week? Uh, well, you have to putt. You know that, right? Okay, fair enough. This isn't Top Golf. It's Top Golf <laughs> picking Scotty. 
<laughs> Target golf, and we'll go with that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Have to yeah. Enjoyed it, bud. Talk soon. All right, guys. Jeffrey Wright joining us there on the uh, My Perfect Franchise hotline, as he does every uh, every single Thursday. No, I, I I laughed at this. I mean, I'm sure there's more than one star that can do it, but not many. I saw this this morning. Um, this, if you have more sports, feel free, but I'm just kind of talking at this point. Uh, Sweden yesterday. Did you say this? Sweden reported higher Probably than not. expected inflation for May. Okay. Okay. Meaning prices went up, inflation's up. They've got an economic issue from May. Uh, they couldn't figure out what caused it. And then it hit them. Beyonce, the pop superstar, kicked off her Renaissance tour in Stockholm last month, drawing fans to the city's Friends Arena over multiple nights. And in response to the influx, the concert goers, uh, the hotels, restaurants raised their prices to such a degree that it boosted overall inflation. The uh, Danks, Danske Bank concluded uh, as I read this morning, one person by the sheer force of popularity was responsible for high in infl- higher inflation in an entire country. Uh, wow. The quote from the guy said, it's uh, quite astounding for a single event, and they've never seen that before. I didn't realize Beyonce was still that big of a deal. Apparently, you can tell I, my, my pop culture, I knew that Taylor Swift was. Sure. I knew people, people broke the bank to go see Taylor Swift, which I get. Taylor Swift's really good. Um, I didn't realize that about Beyonce. She's very good too. I just didn't realize that she was still that big of a thing. Uh, yeah, apparently very much so that huh. she, uh, he, she, she completely affected the, the inflation in Sweden there. Yeah. So I, you, I, you and I are not affected by this kind of thing. Cause there's just, when someone goes, is there a musical act you're just dying to see? No, I mean, no, 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 I, and he's only doing like eight events. I wouldn't mind seeing George Strait this summer, um, just because it's probably one of the last times to do it, and that's something I'd like to do during my life. So if I'm doing it, I would like to do it now. However, I don't know that I want to go pay two grand in Nashville to see George Strait. That feels mm-hmm. a little a little rich for my blood. So well, I'll tell you this: um, if someone gives me a George Strait ticket, I'll, I'll I'll give it to you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. There you go. I, um, I mean, I, I'm, I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't go because I wouldn't appreciate what it was and all the other people there would be like fanatic <laughs> about it. We'll get it's, you some, we'll, we'll get you some boots. We'll get you a hat. We'll, we'll, we'll find that cowboy shirt you wore like a decade ago. Wouldn't it's gone anymore, but it's gone. Uh, could have won a rascal flats lookalike contest. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Uh, staying in business, you Big see where, uh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Did you see, uh, did you see Bud Light got passed? It was no longer the most popular beer in America. I did see that. Did you do see this? I did. Now they were, they were going to get passed by probably early next year. Anyway, it's been trending that way for a pretty long time. Um, Modelo now the yeah. most popular beer in the, uh, in the United States, the Mexican lager, um, and then the the obvious boycott here in uh, in recent months has uh, has heightened it and quickened it. Uh, but Modelo double digit growth in at least thirty five of the past forty years, ending up uh, sliding market share. Bud Light uh, has declined in market share from nineteen percent in two thousand ten to ten uh, percent in the sure. lead in the days leading up to uh, the Mulvaney viral Instagram post that created all the hubbub. 
And uh, since then, the market share has dropped from 10% to 7.3%. Uh, Modelo at 8.4% this week, they say, as um, Anheuser-Busch, InBev overall, by the way, the parent company, has uh, fell by 15% amid broader uh, S&P 500 gains. What is interesting is that InBev actually owns Modelo everywhere but America. But in an no. antitrust situation, they had sold um, their share of Modelo in America to Constellation Brands, which also owns uh, Svedka and Kim Crawford Wines, or two of the uh, oh. big names for uh, for them. So, if, if Modelo sells anywhere but the United States, then InBev still profiting, but uh, yeah, not so much in America as Modelo now. And, and here's the deal. And I, I know I'm not a beer guy. I did not realize Modelo's popularity. Like, had you told me, guess the most popular Mexican beer, I probably would have said Corona or Dos Equis, if I'm just being real frank with you. Yeah. Um, but I I recently saw a guy get a Modelo and was all actually kind of excited about it. It's where I knew nothing about this story, and it clicked in my head, and I went, Modelo, huh? Interesting. Because I don't even know the last time I've had one. But I did notice that in recent days. Yeah, I've had Modelo a few times. Um why that? Why why, why well, Modelo over the other ones? I don't know. I mean, after if after 2020, if you're the people that do Corona, don't you just want to rename the, the beer? Well, that's a good point. I mean, that has to play an impact here, right? Psychologically, yeah. I like, mean, I it's stupid, but... Of course, it's idiotic, but I, I don't... I never really <laughs> liked Corona anyway, so I, it, it was... But like I, I don't, I don't want to put anything. I don't want to have to read the word Corona all the time. The Bud Light thing remains the one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. Any someone got paid to be that stupid. Remarkable how stupid that was. Just to completely ignore your target demo, one thousand percent. Yeah, you're already struggling. It's already been obvious that you're struggling, and then it goes here to this degree this fast um i was looking for just overall market share if i can find it but i'm having a hard time just quickly googling i guess i should have done this and prep but i didn't because i'm kind of curious now where some of these other ones are but that's uh that's interesting to me i would like i said i, I, I never would have guessed modello at all So what's your spirit of choice? I know you don't drink as much as you used to, but are you still bourbon or have you have you shifted? No, I mean, you know, I mean, what's in vogue now is tequila. And I tell people this all the time is that I just don't like it. And I, it's not, it, it's, I mean, it's definitely not the burn or anything because I like high-proof bourbon, but I just, I don't like the taste. It's why I shy away from margaritas for the most part. I'll have one if it's on the beach or at a restaurant, sure, whatever. I mean, because I, I feel like I say that sometimes people go, oh, my God, I can't, can't believe you hate it. And it's like, I don't hate it. I just wouldn't pick it up out of the list and drink it at the house at night. Um, if you told me I got into a different liquor other than bourbon or rye, it would probably be rum. But mm -hmm. I haven't really gone down the route of trying to figure it out and know what good rum or bad rum or anything else is. Um, I'm still very much cocktail oriented. And, and it's it's weather based to an extent. Uh it's Sazerac's and Manhattan's, and then if it's a bar that you trust, because it's mostly only social drinking. I mean, hardly ever have a drink at home. Uh, it's a daiquiri. It's a traditional daiquiri or a gimlet. Yeah. So, I mean, rum, vodka, and those, obviously bourbon are pretty exclusively rye. It's very rare that I'll put bourbon in a 
in a, in a cocktail. I would rather have rye because it's got a little more spice, a little more kick to it, a little more flavor, and it's not as sweet. I like tequila a lot. I, I like. I'm not sure that it's past bourbon. Is it Certain seasonal? times, yeah, like this time of the year. I think I like tequila more than bourbon. Now, when the winter rolls around, I, I, I'm I like bourbon. I like rum too. Like my friend Neil Forbes is big into rum and he's tried to introduce me to rums. I just haven't gotten there. I think it's a taste thing that you have to acquire some. I like oh, it. Oh, really? I think so. I'm like you now. I love a traditional daiquiri. It's fantastic. Um, In 2022, and now this does not include domestic, so I don't know what's comparatively to Budweiser, Bud Light, Miller Light. Take your pick. But uh, the top, let's see, I'm assuming it's 10. The top 10 import beers in, uh, in 2022, so this would not account for the last six months. Uh, number 10, Foster's. Number nine, uh, Takati. Number eight, uh, Labatt. Number seven, Guinness. Number six, Pacifico. Number five, Stella. Number four, Dos Equis. Number three, Heineken. Number two, Corona. And number one, Modelo. Um, so three of the top four Mexican beers. And the percentage that Modelo has over Corona is, I'm doing quick math, about 40-something percent more. So Modelo oh, wow. way ahead of Corona there, around 40%. Now, in saying that... Uh, I like Pacifico, by the way. It's a good beer. Corona is about 75% more than Heineken. So it is absolutely a big two and then maybe a big one, depending on how you want to separate Modelo and Corona. Um, it falls off very sharply after after Corona. Pacifico, uh, yeah, I was trying to see if anybody's in danger of passing anybody, and not really. I mean, some of the ones at the bottom are pretty light. Um, I haven't had Dos, Dos Secchi's haven't and had Stella are really close. Yeah. I feel like Stella is not as popular as it was a decade ago. It's kind of fallen off. I still like Stella. I don't, I don't go seek it out, but if it's like at a bar on tap or something, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, you used to like keep the the chalices in your house and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I like it. That's part of my problem, Chase, is that there's not much I don't <laughs> like. Like I was just thinking, I hadn't had a Fosters in a long time, and there would be people who would like, oh, I'm too good for Fosters. I'm like, I like Fosters. If it's sitting there on tap, I'd have one. Um, if you're curious here, I'm looking again at Modelo 8.4 market share, Bud Light 7.3, uh, Miller Light 5.3, Coors Light 6.2. So little uptick for Miller Light during the middle of this, um, pretty decent uptick for Coors Light during this. And Coors then, Light, uh, if I recall correctly, is the one that stayed out of all of it. Did they? Yeah, I think Miller Lite went down that road a little bit too, just not quite as visibly as Bud Light did. Okay. Um, yeah, in, in one year, Bud Light has lost 2.6 percentage points of market share in a year. Um, in the same year, Modelo's gained 0 0.6, Coors Light's gained 1.1, and Miller Lite's gained 0 0.8. Um. I'll see if they mentioned anybody else, but they they haven't. Um, 
Compared to the week ending in June of last year, Modelo up 12.2%, Bud Light down 24.4% for the same week, year over year. That's pretty precipitous there. That's that's a fall. Yeah, that's not that's not nothing at all. Mm. No, there's there's no spinning the Bud Light thing. It, it it it's a it will be in any classroom where they're really trying to educate the kids. It will be a case study in college marketing classes. It should be. I mean, there's why a lot to think- learn from. It. Even before that, why do you think it had lost market share to the point? Why do you think more people were going to Coors and Miller and away from Bud Light? Or do you think it wasn't even that? It's that they were losing their demographic to just other alcoholic beverages in general. I think it's that. And then I think IPAs, craft beer. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, like you, you, you go around, people love breweries. They love, they love, uh, craft breweries. Like you go to, you fly into Denver and there's all sorts of, you know, uh, craft beers that have, that have gotten popular there. Um, there's several in Alabama. You go to Birmingham, there's m- multiple breweries. Memphis has some, uh, Huntsville, mm-hmm. which is one of the most booming areas of the country has multiple like craft brewery things that people go to. It's they, they, they buy it up from the store. They buy it there. Uh, whenever I go up to Northwest Arkansas, there's, there's, I guess there's like three of them up there. They, they're huge in Oklahoma City. I just think that's, I think that's a lot of it. Just people who started out drinking Bud Light or Miller Light or Coors Light try some of the craft beers and like them better, or like them enough to not always buy one of the big three. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. And then you know, the bourbon rage. Now the tequila rage, the mezcal rage, all that stuff, those people, that's taking at least some of the people who, oh, no, I was just a beer guy, trying different things, and that probably thins it out some, I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know. Yeah, I, my deal is that I don't like beer enough to drink it. I would, I mean, even even socially, I have the thing in my head where I go, ah, I can just hang out. Like, it doesn't... It, it might be my version of what you do with food to a lesser extent where I go, I don't know. Do I really need the 110 calories right here over something that I don't really give a crap about anyway? So why? Like, what? Like, because I can, can go in the bar and I can grab a beat of amber or grab a whatever and I'm cool. It's fine. Yeah, but it yeah. does nothing for me. <laughs> Frankly, I might just feel a little bloated when I'm done. I have three of them. I go, oh, I don't know. Just, <sighs> yeah. If I could stop drinking beer, the, the last eight stubborn pounds would be gone. Yeah. Because like even during the day, it's like, I don't know, just give me a vodka soda or something. I'll yeah. sip on that. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, too, and we'll close here. I, I ran across this just randomly the other day. I, I, I quoted a movie. It was Sideways, which came off, come out early 2000s. Uh, I, but, and I knew that this had had some impact, but I... I'm bad about this. I'll say one thing and I'll start Googling and I'll end up down a rabbit hole. And if anybody, everybody else in the world probably knows this, so it's fine. And you can turn the podcast off at this point. But Paul Giamatti's character in Sideways is very critical of Merlot, the the, the wine type. It had a really drastic impact. The movie was popular enough on the Merlot industry that it absolutely hurt sales. It increased Pinot Noir sales. 
but not only increase Pinot Noir sales, but increase them to the point that the Pinot Noir wineries started using less than elite grapes to make their wines because they were worried about demand and production and trying to get more and more and more out. So mm-hmm. by doing so, it became a less quality grape and it actually harmed the quality of the Pinot Noir industry for like a decade and a half as well. Oh, so a movie quote, Hurt Merlot helped Pinot Noir, but then also killed the quality of the average Pinot Noir over the course of how many ever years. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Can't say that. I mean, everything's got an impact. Oh, there's no if, question. If, if a butterfly flaps its wings, here we go. But sure. yeah, I mean. Sure. Well, it's one of the reasons that, you know, the a lot of the like, Tequila companies and stuff, they use a celebrity to market it. I mean, that's it must work. Clearly works. I mean, is it was it was it the rock that just got a crazy tequila evaluate valuation for his company? Yeah, it he has that uh Terra Terra Mana, I think is what it's yeah. called. And it's obviously good. Clooney's done well with his. Yeah, Casamigos has become like almost pop culture popular. Yeah. Um I assume that Ryan Reynolds' gin company has done well. Pretty much everything he touches does well. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, does, does. I mean, credit where, <laughs> credit where it's due. Yeah, he, he he's kind of become like the the celebrity business version of when the when the Rays don't want to draft somebody or trade for somebody. And you go, yeah, there's probably a problem with that. Let's just avoid it because Ryan didn't want to deal with that. Yeah, he, oh. he lives a charmed existence. Yeah, when the Ottawa when the Ottawa Senators are still for sale and Ry- and Reynolds Group pulled out of the ownership, you went, I don't know, something up there. What's yeah. What's up with Ottawa? Do you want to? They looked at they looked at those books and went, no, we're good. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. It's 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 pretty interesting. I mean, except he's I mean somebody who couldn't have told you Rexham was a thing even existed three years ago. I'm I'm pretty locked in for season two of that show when it comes out. So I'm uh I'm there for it. Yeah, I haven't watched season one yet. It's on my. It's on my uh, very short list of, of shows queued up to watch. It's an interesting thing when you already know the outcome before the series comes out. It's a little bit of a weird watch from that standpoint. As you know, you're just building to either heartbreak or loss or now promotion or whatever it is as the as the differing seasons happen. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm finishing up the, the last dance. Like, I think I'm on the last one. Mm-hmm. I'd completely forgotten from back in that day how close the Indiana Pacers came to getting the Bulls that last year. Oh. I'd completely forgotten that you change a jump ball late fourth quarter of that game, and, and it's quite possible that the Pacers get it. What game was it? Game seven. Oh, it was game seven. Yeah. The Pacers took them to a seventh game. Talk about a hell of a series. And Players I realize, in the night. Go ahead. I realize now, and to, kind of to Jeffrey's point about how much the pandemic might have really messed with our memories and things. I, I, I remember watching. It was appointment television during the pandemic when the last dance would come out on Sunday night, because I, I knew Carson liked it, and I wanted to watch it with him. I wanted to make sure he was watching it because I was kind of worried about him. And I look back and I'm like, man, I should have been worried about myself a little bit too, because I watched it and I probably watched it again. Like I'd watch replays. I don't remember watching it. Really? It's been like a new watch. Which is interesting for a dog. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, oh, I don't remember that. And I'm like thinking, you watch this, man. I mean, it tells you how many of us were not in a good place that summer. Without mindlessly watching because your mind's in so many bigger, more important places that you don't fully engage in what you're looking at. And I would have, had you stopped time in 2020, summer of 2020 and said, how you doing? I would have said, I'm okay. I'm good. I mean, I thought I was. And I Mm. more and more look back and go, oh no, man, I I wasn't good. That has to Mm. be a pretty common thing for people. Jordan doesn't exist in the 90s. Most impacted, Stockton and Malone, number one, Barkley, number two, Reggie, number three. Yeah, Barkley, Reggie Miller, Patrick Ewing. Um, but Ewing did get a title. No, he didn't. No, never mind. No, he he didn't. lost to the Rockets. Uh, um, yeah. Hakeem Olajuwon probably is more appreciated because he would have had more titles. I still think Carl Malone is number one. You're talking about a top three all-time NBA scorer that doesn't get a title? Well, they won the West two years in a row and couldn't get past yeah, the Bulls. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's probably it's probably Malone, Stockton. Oh, you go back and look at Carl Malone's career numbers. I know there's some personal stuff that people just go, I can't look at it, but try. And look at John Stockton's numbers. I mean, those were elite teams. And then there was the, a thing in there. I didn't remember. Was, the, the interview was with Jalen Rose. And he was talking about the team that they had in Indiana at that time. And it's like, he it finishes the quote with, man, we had a good squad. And they did. They had a really good squad that was a really well put together team. Big, could shoot it. An elite point guard. Chris Mullen. Th- that was a really talented team. And yeah, I mean, just Jordan's sheer will stopped them from getting to the finals that year. That was Larry Bird's first year as a coach. Jordan was just a different cat. I mean, he was just, but like Reggie Miller was a different cat. He just wasn't quite Mm -hmm. there. You know, I mean, they were talking about, I didn't, this is one of the things I didn't remember when Jordan went to shoot the Bugs Bunny deal um space jam mm-hmm. he they they you know he was on the set from like 7 a.m until about 6 p.m took a two-hour break in the middle of the day when other people had lunch he went and lifted and then afterwards they as part of the deal they basically built a basketball court for him and a gym so that he could leave the set and go work out and play. Mm-hmm. And he invited NBA guys and like some of the NBA guys were like, man, it was some of the best games that were ever played were on that set. Cause Jordan was determined to get back. And that was his first full season back from unretiring. Baseball. Yeah. And then one of the quotes that was so interesting and I'm, I've just been watching this has been, again, it's been fascinating because I didn't remember it about Jerry Reinsdorf saying basically had there not been a baseball strike, Jordan was going to stick with baseball and he was going to make the major leagues. Think about this. He, he didn't play baseball. He didn't play baseball from the age of 17 to the age of 31. He drops in at double a and he hit more than 200. No, I mean, that's the thing is that it's, 
while I have a hard time going, yes, he was going to be a major leaguer, at the same time, the worst take in sports in the 90s was making fun of Jordan for only hitting two whatever in double A. Yeah. Well, Terry Francona. Dude. Terry Francona. Terry Francona, pretty good baseball source. Said Jordan was absolutely on path to be a major leaguer. I mean, I, 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 I can't, I can't look at Terry Francona and go bullshit. I, I yeah, can't, sure. yeah, you know, sure. I mean, he's pretty good. <laughs> he stuck around for a minute. Just, but yeah, I mean, doesn't pick up a batter ball for 14 years. Drops double in a double a, which for people who don't know, if you're not a baseball guy, double a is the proving ground. It's where the prospects sit. Yeah. I mean, Triple A a lot of times is a holding team. It's like, hey, this is our insurance policy team. This year it's different because the balls are different. And so you want to get your prospects to triple A to see how they handle because at double A they're using a ball that has tack now. And triple A they don't. But back then, you if you produced at double A, you were probably a major league player. Mm-hmm. And he's out there with a bunch of double A guys, and you know he's getting everybody's best stuff because you're pitching against Michael Jordan. And he delivered for the most part. That was it was fascinating. Yeah. It is uh it is still available to stream, as Neil says. If you'd like to check it out again or for the first time, if you haven't watched it, it's there. Uh I've scrolled scroll by it a few times in the last few weeks going to something else. So yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I've had people go, you've already watched this. Why are you talking about it? I've gotten that email from a few people. And it's the point is, I don't remember really watching it. Yeah. So everything feels new. So it tells me that I was just mentally shot in 2020. Didn't know it. Thought I was thought I was perfectly good. Hand raised guys uh, going up when, Mr. McCray? Uh, it'll go up later today. Uh, really good. It's all college football with Michael Bratton of that SEC podcast. Um, about a little over an hour with him. It's he's he's I think he's one of the best at at this stuff. He's not afraid to have opinions. He's got a he's got a very strong opinion about a certain SEC West school for this year. So you'll enjoy it. Okay. That is uh that'll be up later. Appreciate Jeffrey for his time today, and we'll talk to you again on Monday. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.